Good morning, Kingsliff Church. How's your week been? Yeah, pretty good. Um, today we're going to be going on to the next stage of our journey through a blazing grace. And we're around about the, the halfway point, right in the middle of the land. So for those who are new, we're preaching right through the Old Testament. It's, it's basically a 12-month task. It's a challenging task. It's, um, we, if you are here last week, you would have heard um, Pastor David talk about the challenging topic of genocide, or maybe not quite genocide, but what people often see as genocide in, in, in the book of in the Old Testament and unpack some of the reasons how we can see the God of love shining through even those passages as well. Now, today we are up to the book of Joshua. Okay, last week we were looking a little bit at the book of Joshua, but today we're going to really unpack Joshua more in, in detail. And so my task was basically to preach on the whole book of Joshua. Now, it's not going to go as long as, well, that's my, my challenge, not to, I'm not going to try and compete with David as far as length of sermon. And so we're just going to be skimming over and looking at the highlights from the book of Joshua. Um, and we're going to have some really important lessons that we can draw out from that as well. Now, to begin with, what I'd like to do is refresh your minds and give a little bit of a review of the previous sermon that I preached up the front. And that was Facing the Giants. Do you remember that, that sermon? That part of the Old Testament story? Facing the Giants. And that was when Israel had been delivered out of slavery and they went up to Mount Sinai and from there they went basically on a direct route through to the promised land and they got to the edge of the promised land and they were ready to conquer it, almost. And they sent those 12 spies in, two of which were Joshua and Caleb and, and they came back and Joshua and Caleb were enthusiastic and ready to go and take on the giants of the land and there was literally giants in that land Um, But the other ten spies gave a bad report. And pretty soon, Israel was going back into the wilderness for another 40 years. Um, And so, facing the giants. And and a few of the lessons that we learned from that sermon, um, because as we went through this, I wanted you to think about what are the giants in your life. And we talked about how giants are those things, those challenges, those obstacles that we come up against that seem bigger than us. Those obstacles that are um, insurmountable, they're they're giant, um, we don't know how we're going to get through them. Often they seem impossible, and they might be in in regards to your health, it could be in your workplace, it could be in a relationship, it could be um, a specific task that you feel God has called you to, but it just seems like a gigantic task. Um, There's all sorts of giants in our life, and I asked you to think about that and let that sort of guide your thoughts as you went through that message. And today I'm going to ask you to do the same thing. I want you to be thinking about what are those giants in your life, and we all have giants, I have giants, Um, every person encounters giants in our lives, and I want you to think about those things and apply the lessons that we learnt to your specific situation that you find yourself in. Now, in the Facing the Giants part one, and this is going to be part two today, um, we asked the question, do you see grasshoppers or do you see bread. And that came out of the different perspective that the different spies took on the land. Joshua and Caleb, when they came, they saw these giants and they said, those giants will be like bread to us. In other words, with God's help, we will devour those giants. Whereas the other ten spies, they looked at the exact identical situation and they said, 
we look like grasshoppers. And because of that, that's what, why they fled in fear. And the things that made the difference, we explained that, that Joshua and Caleb, they took into account these four things. Firstly, they took into account God's presence. If God is with them, who can be against them? They took into, into um, account God's power, God's promises, and God's past acts. And then finally, we saw also that the reason the others fled from the land wasn't just because they forgot that God was with them, because remember, God was there in a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud guiding their way, but they forgot the goodness of God and they doubted the character of, of God. And because they believed the worst about the land, they believed the worst about God. They thought, is God bringing us in here to trap us? Has God brought us all this way to die by the sword that our little ones, our little children might become prey? And so the final thing that made the difference was their belief about God's character. Now today, we are looking at Facing the Giants, Part 2. And the main lesson that we are going to learn through this message is the battle is not as it seems. It's spiritual. The battle is not as it seems. It's spiritual. Now before we dive into unpacking this, this, um, this main part of the message, we're going to firstly give a little bit of an overview of the book of Joshua. And there's four things that I want you to know about Joshua. And the first thing is that the book of Joshua is, is a part of a continuous story. I want you to turn in your Bibles to Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1 and... And actually, when you get there, I want you to look at the page before Joshua chapter 1, which is the last chapter of, of Deuteronomy, which is the last chapter of what we often call the Pentateuch or the Torah, the, the books of Moses. And we get to the end, and in chapter 34, my chapter says, the death of Moses. Is that what your Bible says as well? The death of Moses? Now come across to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 1. And it says this, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, and it, and it goes on. Notice that after the death of Moses. This is one continuous story. Deut- Deuteronomy finishes and Joshua picks up. And that's what we're really learning as we're going through um, this series, that even though the Bible is written by so many different people and from different walks of life, at the end of the, end of the day, the Bible is one continuous story. A story about the love of God and about God's plan of salvation and about this covenant family through which God plans to bless the world and ultimately bring restoration to the world. Point number one, it's a continuous story. Point number two, the book of Joshua, in the book of Joshua we see a new generation. Cast your minds back to facing the giants number, number part one. To the, in the book of Numbers, chapter 14, verse 28. Now, stay in your Bibles in Joshua. We're going to be sort of jumping back and forth, but when our verses are in Joshua, usually they will be from the Bible. When they're elsewhere, we'll see them on the screen. Now, in this situation, this is after the, the, 12, the 10 spies have given their bad report, and the Israelites are marching back into the wilderness for another 40 years, and this is what God said about the, the next 40 years. He says, it says, Say to them, 
As I live, declares the Lord, what you have said in my hearing I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in the wilderness, and all your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upwards who have grumbled against me. So when they were there, they were complaining to God and saying, God, we wish we had died in the wilderness. And God said, okay, that will be your, yeah, will be your fate. And so all of those people, 20 years and up, who had grumbled against God, they went and lived in the wilderness for 40 years, and during that time, all of those people passed away. In verse 30, it says, Jesus, oh, God goes on to say, Not one shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb the son of, of Jephunneh and Joshua the son of Nun. But your little ones who you said would become a prey, I will bring in, and they shall know the land that you have rejected. So the argument and the thing that the Israelites grumbled about was, all these little ones of ours, all these little children, God, are you leading them then into the, into the promised land so they'll die by the sword, so they'll become prey? And God says, just you wait what I'll do with your children. In fact, I'm going to use those little children of yours, and they are going to be the ones that, that grow up, and they are going to take on these giants themselves without you. So in the book of Joshua, we see it's a continuous story, and we see it's a new generation. Now, this generation did not live as, as slaves in Egypt, and if they did, they were only very young. Um, but primarily, this generation's world was the wilderness. They grew up in the wilderness. They lived in the wilderness. They were used to the, the manna falling down from heaven. It, um, that's where they got their food. So this is, these people were coming from a slightly different perspective to the first generation. Point number three. In the book of Joshua, we see a new Moses. Okay, what happened to the old Moses? He passed away. The last chapter of Deuteronomy, we saw that Moses has, has died. And here we see God is calling forth a new Moses. And let me, let me show you that. Uh, have you got your Bibles there? Joshua chapter 1. In verse 1, we'll read verse 1 again. We're going to read through to verse, verse 5. It says, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore arise, go over the Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. In other words, God is saying, All right, all right um, Joshua, um, Moses has died, and you are going to fill his shoes. How would you feel if God gave you a, the task of filling the shoes of Moses. Throughout the whole of Scripture, there's probably no figure that stands out, I guess, I guess apart from Jesus himself, that stands out as much as Moses as a man who, who led with courage, as a man who, who did some of the greatest miracles, went through the Red Sea, marched those Israelites through on, on dry land, who stood up against those, those grumbling Israelites for, for, for decades. And here comes God and comes up to, to Joshua and says, Joshua, I want you to take the baton from Moses. Now that's a giant task. It's one thing to be second in charge when, when you get hit those difficult problems, you can say, oh, go talk to Moses. But suddenly the burden is going to feel a whole lot heavier for Joshua. Keep going on. Verse 3. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you, just as I promised to Moses. So the same promises that were given to Moses, 
These are now Joshua's promises. He is now the one who is going to lead them into the promised land. Let's jump down to verse 5. No man shall be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. Now, what was going to qualify Joshua for the task of filling the shoes of Moses? Did you pick it up there in verse 5? Just as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. God doesn't look at Joshua and say, Joshua, because you have demonstrated such excellent leadership potential, because you have these gifts, because you've got this, 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 I'm going to put you in charge. But instead, God says, Joshua, because I will be with you, you will be my man from, for the task. So we see this new Joshua, um, this new Moses story. But how could Joshua actually live up and how would people have confidence in Joshua? And how would he have the confidence in himself? Well, God is about to do something that's going to establish in the minds of everyone that Joshua is the new Moses. Turn with me across to chapter 3. Joshua chapter 3. It says, The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. So God is saying, I'm going to start doing things that are going to reveal to everyone that you are the new Moses that's leading the people. And what God goes on to tell them is, is he tells them to get the, the priests, get them to get that um, Ark of the Covenant um, in, the, in, their, in their hands, and you see, before they went into, the, into the, the promised land, there was the River Jordan. And at this time of the year, the River Jordan, if you read through it, it says that it was in flood. And so it was going to be a, a huge, difficult task for them to get all of these um, Israelites and all of their stuff and all of their livestock across this, this River Jordan, which created this kind of barrier between, between them and the promised land. And so, um, so, God, so God then tells Joshua, get, get the um, priests... And let them go on before the people, and when they get to, when they get to the, um, the, the Jordan River, they're going to pass through in, on dry land. And we see this in verse 13. It says, And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, um, shall rest, oh, yeah, when they shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from, from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. Now, what miracle does this remind you of? This is the, red, the parting of the Red Sea. So, and in the minds of the people, the thing that, I guess, solidified the, um, in the minds of everyone that, that Moses was God's man and that Moses was going to be used by God to bring them in the Promised Land was the Red Sea. That was the great miracle that, that Moses performed. The Red Sea was parted in here, God enables Joshua to part now the, the Jordan River and the people pass on in on dry land. So here God is establishing Joshua as a new Moses. Now something very interesting is that this whole idea of, of, of miracles being repeated, and especially in connection to the parting of water, 
is not only found in the transition from um, Moses to Joshua, but it's found elsewhere in the Bible as well. When we get to the book of 2 Kings, we find Elijah and, and his soon-to-be successor, Elisha. And Elijah is going to the point where he's eventually going to be taken up to heaven in this chariot of, of fire and angels are going to come. And as they're going along the way, they come up against the Jordan River. And we'll find, you find this in, I think it's 2 Kings chapter 2. So there's Elijah and Elisha. They come up there against the Jordan, up to the Jordan River. And Elijah takes off his cloak and he hits it against the water and the river parts. And they walk on in dry land. Then they go up and, and as they're going, Elisha says, Elijah, can I please have a, por- a double portion of your Holy Spirit? And, and, and God says, if you, if you see me when I ascend, then you'll, this, this double portion of the Holy Spirit, Spirit will be yours. And then he sees Elijah ascend up into the clouds. And then on the return trip, he's walking along and Elisha takes the cloak of Elijah, which fell down, and Elisha then hits the, the Jordan River and it parts and he walks on in dry, dry ground. And what this is symbolizing is that the same miracles and the same work and the same infilling of the Holy Spirit that Elijah had is now being put onto Elisha. Now, and we see this also in um, this whole idea of the Spirit being the thing that qualified um, Joshua for the task over Moses. We see in Joshua 3.7, um, sorry, that's not, Numbers 27.11, or 18, sorry. So the Lord said to Moses, take Joshua, the son of Nun, a man in whom is the Spirit, lay your hand upon him. So here's this whole idea of the Holy Spirit qualifying for the task. Now I want you to take you to another interesting verse in the Gospels. John chapter 14 and verse 12. Now here's a verse that some of you may be familiar, but maybe some of you haven't seen this. And this is Jesus speaking to his disciples shortly before he was going to die upon the cross. And he says to them, them this, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. How would you feel if Jesus said that to you? Remember the disciples have been walking around with, with, um, with Jesus, and Jesus has been um, healing the sick, he, he raised the dead, he did these amazing miracles. Um, and then imagine if Jesus said to you and said, these very works that I've been doing, you're going to do them, and even greater works you will do. Now, the thing that was going to enable them, it says, because I'm going to the Father, and the rest of the chapter talks about how Jesus is going to send the Holy, Holy Spirit down who will enable them to do that. And if you remember from our Acts series, they truly did go on to do the same sorts of things that Jesus did. You think of the stories of Peter and Paul. Both of them raised someone who was lame or crippled. Both of them raised the dead. Both, um, Paul cast out, out demons. Both of them were miraculously freed from from prison, and in fact, towards the later part of their life, um, Peter, if the sick, a sick person was laid down on the ground and even just his shadow went over them, they were healed. And then with, um, with, with Paul, they got one of his handkerchiefs, and if it just touched someone who was sick, they were healed. Here is the same miracles, that sort of miracles that Jesus was performing, being done through his successors, the disciples. And what do we learn from all of this? And that is, 
the same Holy Spirit who equipped Joshua to do Moses' works, Elisha to do Elijah's works, the disciples to do Jesus' works, is available to us as well. The thing that qualifies us to work for God is not because we have some innate ability or innate thing that makes us so qualified to do these great works and to defeat defeat these great giants. The thing that qualifies us is God's Holy Spirit given to us, which then enables us to be like Joshua, like Moses, like Elisha, Elijah, disciples, and even like Jesus. So we see the book of Joshua, we see a new Moses. And, and the final thing about the book of Joshua is that the book of Joshua reveals we, we find a new home. Now remember, leading up to this, we see that God has his covenant people, and with his covenant people, he gives them this covenant promise. And that is that he is going to give them descendants, and he is going to give them land. Now at this point in the story, they have descendants. They have hundreds of thousands of descendants. There is, they're numerous like the stars of the sky like, 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 of heaven like God had, had um, promised them, but they don't have their home yet. They don't have their land. And here they're about to take hold of their land, of, their, of that land. Now the whole, the whole book of Joshua is all about obtaining the land that God had promised them. And the structure is very simple to understand. Simply, if you divide the 24 chapters in two, the first 12 are about conquering the land. That's where you find all of those great battles that took place. And the last 12 chapters are about the division of the land, how the land was divided amongst the different tribes and the different, the different people. Now, in the first half, we find primarily four battles that take place. The first of those battles is the Battle of Jericho. Now, this is probably the most famous of those, of those battles. In this battle, this is where the Israelites, they marched around the city of Jericho, um, and in a very unusual way, they simply, in silence, with a few trumpets blowing, they just marched all the way around, and then they went home. Then the next day, they got up and they did it again, and again, and again, until they got to the seventh day, and they marched around seven times, and then the walls fall down. So many of you are probably familiar with, with that story. Battle number two is the, is the Battle of Ai, or Ai, or the Different people pronounce it different ways. Um, and that was a much smaller place, and we're going to come back to that later in, in the message. Then following that, and following these first two um, battles, we see that the rest of the promised land starts getting very scared. And so in the southern part of Canaan, the southern part of the promised land, we find five kings come together, and they make this great big army to take on Israel. And, and so we see that God comes through and helps Israel to defeat the southern, southern armies, and the fourth battle is the northern part of Canaan. They all come together and they, they create an army even bigger, and it says it's as big as like the sands on the seashore, this innumerable army that comes at, at the Israelites, and again, God gives them then the battle. But the, a verse that comes basically right in the middle of, of, of the book of Joshua, we'll find in Joshua chapter 11 and verse 23. And as I read this verse... It just stood out to me um, and made a really big impact, just, just this verse here. So Joshua chapter 11 and verse 23. Now remember, up to this point, the people have been oppressed or going through difficulty for a long time. 
400 years they were in, in um, the land of Egypt as slaves, being told what to do, being um, probably abused in all sorts of ways, and being forced to slave for these things that they probably didn't want to build. And then after that, went to the wilderness, and for decades they're wandering around in the wilderness, um, which probably wasn't the most beautiful of, of places to be. And then they get to the land, and they spend the next several years in battles and, con- and, 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 and in, in, in fierce, fierce opposition against all these different, different um, kings and, and the people within Canaan. But we get to the end of chapter, of chapter 11, and it says this. So chapter 11, verse 23. It says, So Joshua took the whole land according to all that the Lord had spoken to Moses, and Joshua gave it, in for, gave it for an inheritance to Israel according to the tri- tribal allotments, and the land had rest from war. Now, I don't know if you picked up the significance of that, but realize that how long has it been since these people have had rest? It's been hundreds of years. In Egypt, they didn't have rest. In the wilderness, they didn't have rest. And, and, and all this time, they've had this promise, and they're, they're moving towards it, and they eventually get here. They've had these four great big battles, and, and eventually get to the end, and the land is divided, and it says, the land had rest. How would that have felt? Especially with these kids. They had ne- basically, well, actually, everyone here had never experienced this kind of rest before. And they look around them, and they see this beautiful land, the immediate enemies around them. There's still some off in the, in the, the surroundings of, of the promised land, but the immediate surroundings, there's, the enemies are gone. These big struggles that they've been having are, are complete, and they have rest. And as I read that, I thought, wow, what an awesome picture of the rest that Jesus wants to give to us. When we read... Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Jesus says to us, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. This life of sin is a burdensome life, and, and we are, have a continually facing giant after giant after giant after giant. But Jesus' intention for us is that we, that we might come to him and that we might experience rest. And on an even bigger picture, when we get to Revelation chapter 21, verse 4, and here we see the end of the story of salvation. Here we see the new earth is created. Here we see a people who look around and they experience a world that they've never experienced before. And it says, He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. What will it be like to experience the rest that we will experience on that day? God wants to give us rest. So the book of Joshua, a continuous story, a new generation, a new Moses, and a new home. Now remember, now in order to get to that home though, there was a work to be done. And in order for us to get to our heavenly home and eventually our final resting place in the new earth, there's a work to be done. And there are all sorts of giants that are going to stand between us and that destination that God has called us 
2. So how do we go about defeating those giants? What other lessons does the book of Joshua have for us? So what I've got here is three giant lessons from Joshua about defeating giants. Okay? And the first one is this. Success will come when you speak about, daily meditate on, and carefully apply Scripture. Now, how do we get that from the book of Joshua? Turn back with me to Joshua chapter 1 and verse 8. Joshua 1 verse 8. Now, here we see God is giving the commission to Joshua just before they go in, he goes into the land, and here he gives him the instructions that will enable him to have success in this task. And God says to Joshua, in, in chapter 1, verse 8, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will, then you will make your way prosper, prosperous, and then you will have good success. Unusual um, instruction for conquering giants, isn't it? Number one, speak about the book of the law. And you can insert, instead of book of the law for us, the scriptures, because this was, the instructions of Moses were the scriptures that they had at that time. It was to speak about them, daily meditate. Now, meditation in the Bible is not what we often see today. It's not a sitting down and emptying your mind until there's nothing left there. But meditation in scripture is, is an intense concentration. It's a, in it's an intense contemplation of something. And here they're told to intensely contemplate, intensely study, intensely think about um, the Scriptures day and night on a, this daily basis. And then finally, it says, be careful to do. Not just read about them, not just study them, but actually apply them to your life. And the promise is, if you do this simple thing, Joshua, if you soak yourself in Scripture... If you spend that time daily in, in, in the Word of God, you will have success. Lesson number one. Now, lesson number two. Success will come when the armies of heaven fight by your side. Come across with me to Joshua chapter 5. Now, in, at the end of Joshua chapter 5, just before they entered into their first battle, we find one of my, this is probably my favorite scene in the entire book. Here we see Joshua encountering a very unusual of, um, character along, along the way. Joshua chapter 5 and verse 13, it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. So here he looks up, and this guy's just like, this, this sword, and he's like, like a battle pose ready, and Joshua's like, oh man, who is this guy? Is he for us, or is he against us? That's what he goes on to say, verse, um, and Joshua went to him and said, are you for us, or, or for our adversaries? And do you remember from last week what the answer was? It was no, okay, not for you, not for your adversaries, but just no, I'm for everyone. God is for, for everyone. We learned that last week. Um, verse 14, and he said, no, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come, and Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take off your sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy. And Joshua did so. 
What story does this remind us of? This is the burning bush. Can we see how God is establishing Joshua here as the second, the second Moses, Moses? And this man, this battle warrior that he sees, this commander of the armies of the Lord, Joshua gets down and he worships this, 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 this being. Now who does that tell us this is? This is Jesus. The same Jesus that was in the, in the burning bush, the same Jesus that was in the pillar of fire, the same Jesus that descended on Mount Sinai, is now standing before Joshua. But this time he's calling himself, I am the commander of the armies of the Lord. Now, what are the armies of the Lord? When we go across to 2 Kings chapter 6, again, this is Elijah and Elisha, uh, we have this really interesting battle situation that we encounter. It says, when the servant, this is um, Elisha, sorry, Elisha's servant, when the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. So here we have Elisha's servant looks out, and there's him and a few people in the city, and there is an entire army around them, and he begins to panic. Alas, my master, what shall we do? And Elisha says, he said, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. In what sense was this true? If you looked at this situation, they were incredibly outnumbered, and they were surely going to be destroyed. But then Elisha does this. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw, and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Now what did that look like? I don't know, but it would have been pretty glorious. Here he sees, so they're surrounded by this army, but beyond that army, up in in the hills, there is another army that's surrounding, and these are chariots of fire. These are the heavenly angels. This is the armies of the Lord who are there, who usually you can't see, but these are on Elisha's side. Now, if you see here, you see a picture of, I'm in that picture right there. This is a place in Vanuatu. Now, when I, my great-grandfather was a missionary in Vanuatu back in the days when, like, they ate each other and fun things like that. And um, he was one of the pioneer missionaries, and basically no one there was a Christian. They just had their, um, their usual tribalistic ways that they went about doing things. They were cannibals, headhunters. They had these really sick, satanic games that they used to play. And my great-grandfather and, his, and my great-grandmother and my grandfather... Um, his brother might have been there as well, um, were there and they were living as missionaries amongst these people. Now, I grew up hearing a certain story um, that I got the privilege of going back there a few years ago and hearing firsthand from one of these native people, one of these descendants from these cannibalistic tribes who told us this story, which was exactly the same story that I'd heard growing up. And it went like this. Um, While the uh, the missionary family were there in this, in this little house, which was right where you see uh, the picture taken here. Um, some of the people from the mainland, uh, the locals from the mainland, they didn't like the missionaries being there. And so they got like a group of warriors together and they came across in the middle of the night to come and to kill, and I, I'm assuming that would have been eating um, my 
my um, great-grandfather and, 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 their, and their family and to destroy the missionaries. They didn't want them there. So they got there and, and, and they waited till sort of the early hours of the morning, sort of 3 a.m., 4 a.m. in the morning, and they snuck up and they went there and they were about to um, raid this and, and come in on, on this, this place. But then they turned around and they, they ran off. And in the morning, these, these warriors came to um, the missionary um, family, to um, my great-grandfather, and he said, Calvin says, and he came, came to the, the place and said, where do you keep all those shining white men? <laughs> and he looked at them and he's thinking, who are you talking about? But then as he was thinking, it's like, he's like, wow, God has performed a miracle and God's army has surrounded this house and protected us. And so he said, they're not here at the moment, but tonight they'll be back. <laughs> and so I grew up hearing that story and it was such an awesome experience to go there to the very place where that happened, and to hear firsthand this story being, and this is like, this is like a, this story is like um, legend there in this part of, in this village now. It's, these kids have grown up listening to this story. And, and what I want to impress upon you is that the armies of the Lord, which helped Joshua defeat his giants, are available to us as well. And as they go through the stories, we see all sorts of things. We see the, um, um, we'll just, I'll just skim through what, what happens. But as they go through these battles, especially the third big battle of the southern kingdom, we see God is raining down um, hailstones uh, hail from heaven and, and, and killing more people than the soldiers are. We see Joshua cries out to God, and the sun literally stands still in the sky for an entire day. And God is fighting for them. And it gets to the end of Joshua, and, and Joshua recounting on the, sit- on the stories and, and the experiences, he says, one man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. So success will come when the armies of heaven fight by your side. And finally, success will come when you make war with the sin within. Now what do I mean by that? Let's go to our final passage that we're going to look at today. Um, we're nearing the end here. Joshua chapter 7, and here we are encountering the, the second of these battles, at the, the battle of Ai, and Joshua chapter 7 and verse 2. Now this happened immediately after Jericho, and after Jericho, you can just imagine the Israelites are feeling pretty confident. They've just like walked around this building and the walls have fallen down, and they're like, man, we're just going to smash these, these, um, these Canaanites. How will they possibly stand in our way? In verse 2 of chapter 7 says, Joshua sent men from Jericho to Ai, which is near Bethaven, east of Bethel, and said to them, Go up and spy out the land. This is just the same way they they went about Jericho. Um, Go out and spy spy out the land. And they returned to Joshua and said to him, Do not have all the people go up, but let about two or 3,000 men go up and attack Ai. In other words, you've seen how we've defeated the last ones. This is easy for us. It's just a small people. Just send a few thousand of the Israelites up and they'll easily take over the city. Do not make the whole people toil up there, for they are few. Verse 4. So about 3,000 men went up from the people and they fled before the men of Ai. And the men of Ai killed about 36 of their men and chased them before the gate as far as um, Sheberim and struck them at the desert. And the hearts of the people melted and became as water. 
So here we have all these stories about them defeating these, these giants that were impossible tasks, and here the Israelites faced the first one of their tasks, which was very achievable. And what happened? They turned away and fled. Why did this happen? Jump down to verse 10. And the Lord said to Joshua, because he fell on his face, and he's like, God, why, have you, why is this happening? Verse 10, the Lord said to Joshua, Get up. Why have you fallen on your face? Israel have sinned. They have transgressed my covenant and I, that I commanded them. They have taken some of the devoted things. They have stolen and lied and put them among their own belongings. Um, therefore, the people of Israel cannot stand before their enemies. They turn their backs before their enemies because they have become devoted for destruction. I will be with you no more unless you destroy the devoted things from among you. So here we have, everyone thinks it's, it's, it's war as usual in the, in the Israelite camp, but one person in there took some of the, the things that were supposed to be destroyed or devoted to the temple, and he took it for himself. And he buried it, and he hid this secret sin of his under his tent. And as a result of that, God is unable to enlist the armies of heaven in order to fight their battles for them. Because if you remember from last week, the battle against these, these Canaanites, it was, not a, it, was not a, it was not a battle against race, but it was a battle against sin. And they were going in these battles, and their war was against the sin in these lands, but yet they had failed to make the war against the sin in their own hearts. And so success will come when you make war with the, with the sin within. When you don't become friends with sin, you don't cherish those secret sins, but you put those things aside and allow God to then um, fill you with your spirit and win his victories. So what are the lessons that we can learn from the book of Joshua? Number one, God wants to give us rest. Our world is filled with unrest, with busyness, with distractions, with, with, with constant struggle against this, this world of sin and, and hardships and giants and obstacles and all these sorts of things. But in the end, God is working towards that ultimate rest in the new earth when we will look around after having never, being people who have never experienced this kind of rest and go, wow, this is incredible. But before we get there, God has a work for us to do. And in order to do this work, we need some qualifications. We need some empowerment. And the qualifications is not in the things that, that we bring, but it's rather what God brings within us, and that is the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit who equipped Joshua to do Moses' work, Elisha to do Elijah's work, the disciples to do Jesus' work is available to us. And with the Holy Spirit, we are able to fulfill the mission and the work that God has put before us. Number three, the battle is not as it seems. It's spiritual. When the Israelites, when you look through the book of Joshua, and, and when you look against the, the giants in our lives, from a worldly perspective, when we approach giants, we look at it from a visible perspective. We look at it from, um, like if, if you looked at those battles from an earthly perspective, you'd say, all right, how strong are the, is the opposition? How good are their, how well are they trained? How strong are their weapons? How and it could go on and on. And we look at, we measure them against us. And we measure in our lives, we measure our giants against us. And we decide on 
what the giant looks like as whether or not we will be successful or not. But the interesting thing in the book of Joshua is the one giant that they weren't successful at was the only one that was in their own strength achievable. Which tells me that success is not dependent upon how big the task is. Success is not dependent on how strong we are. Success is not dependent on by how numerous the, thing, the, the armies were before them or how strong they were, how well trained they were. But success was dependent upon their spiritual preparation in coming to the task. And the three points were success will come when you speak about, daily meditate on, and carefully apply scripture. That's how we defeat the, t- the, the giants in our lives. And that's why often you hear us from up the front here emphasizing the importance of, those, of daily spending time with God in the Word. Waking up each day, spending time in prayers, reading the scriptures, applying the things, because that is where success comes from. Number two, success will come when the armies of heaven fight by our, by our sides. The biggest challenge is to not rely upon ourselves. When we rely upon ourselves, we will almost always fail. But when we depend upon the, the resources of heaven, the omnipotence of God, then we will be successful. And thirdly, success will come when we make war with the sin within. And with that, I'm challenged. What are the secret sins in my life that I'm cherishing? And what are the secret sins within all of our lives that we're cherishing? And how are those things limiting us from the work that God wants to do through us? And so the challenge is for those things to take them to God. Repent of them. Bring them to Him and say, God, give me victory over this. Help me to make war with the sin within. The battle is not as it seems. It's spiritual. Let's finish with prayer. Dear Father in heaven, Lord, every one of us comes today to, to church and, and we bring a whole range of different giants in our lives. And the thing that I've been, been impressed with in, in the book of Joshua, Lord, is just the fact that it has nothing to do with the size of the giant, but has everything to do with the spiritual way that we prepare to meet that giant, Lord. And so I pray that, that this week that you'll help us to be people who, like Joshua, daily spend time meditating upon the Scriptures, applying the Scriptures and sharing the Scriptures, Lord. Help us. Lord, we, 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 help, we pray that you'll take away our self-dependence, Lord. Help us not to trust on ourselves, Lord, but help us to trust in the, in the, armies, in the armies of heaven who Jesus commands, Lord. Um, and, and finally, Lord, help us to remember that, um, to, to put away those sins, Lord. We don't want the sins in our life. Help us not to become complacent with sin, Help us not to become friends with sin, Lord, but help us to realize that sin is the enemy, Lord. And while we might not be perfect, the least we can do is make war with that sin. And by your strength, Lord, we ask that each day that you will give us victory after victory after victory, Lord. We thank you for your incredible love, and we look forward to the day when we will experience true rest. We pray this in the precious name of Jesus. Amen.